Good morning, church family. How'd you get the taller stool? I know. I need the taller stool. I need all the assistance I can get. Spent your entire life being the shortest in the room. You deserve a little bit of reprieve. So that's good. Um, Well, welcome. I guess we're done. You know, love comes in many forms and shapes and words, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, nothing is more important than as your creation, better understanding your character and your nature and your desire for our lives. So our prayer this is, uh, morning is that our time together would edify us, would encourage us, and would draw us a little bit closer to you and answer some of the questions of life. And um, just, Lord, we seek your glory, and we already know your presence is filled in this room, but God, maybe we experience it in a new and fresh way today. Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. amen. So Carrie last week said that um, I wouldn't be doing announcements for a couple weeks. I think some of you that brought joy to, but what she didn't tell you is that you'd have to suffer through a teaching with me today. So um, this is one of the most exciting days uh, for me because um, I get to share a message with my wonderful bride, Jill. And this is going to be a really fun day. And 11 years ago, uh, Jill at that point hadn't yet committed her life to Christ. And uh, we were just dating And if you would have said to me that, hey, Brian, in roughly 10 years, this beautiful woman's going to fall in love with Jesus, fall in love with you, and then she'll actually be on stage preaching, teaching with you to the church, God's word, I'd have said, sign me up for that. That is a a wonderful blessing. Uh, And I will say also that when when you're a couple (laughs) and you're preparing a message together in the same household with three kids under six, there are some logistical challenges with that. Uh, It has been uh, just a really enjoyable couple weeks stretching in many ways, but I know God's going to see us through uh, just fine today. So, um, Jill, when you think of sheep, when you think of sheep, what comes to mind for you? You should, I mean, look so I can see your lovely face, yeah. Well, I mean, obvious, right? Mutton busting. Like, (laughs) who doesn't think of that? Thank you. Thank you. I'm just curious, so I can live vicariously through you. Has anybody ever done it? Like, did they do it as a kid? Has it been around that long? You have? You did it as a kid, Craig? How long did you ride, Craig? Three seconds? Eight? Okay. Do you have the really tall trophy that was like eight times taller than you are? Oh, oh man. Ah, that, that, was, that was back in the day, pre-trophies. Um, anyways, it's super fun to watch, but also it's kind of funny. At work last week, um, I was telling the gals that I was teaching, and you know, they're like, well, what are you teaching on? And I just responded, sheep. And one of which, who owns a dairy farm, they all kind of giggled and they were like, oh, those not smart animals that just run around aimlessly following each other. And I was like, man, that's what everybody thinks of sheep. But actually, sheep are a lot more fascinating than probably most of you realize. So I have a few fun facts about sheep that you're not going to believe. (laughs) I knew knew that would do him proud. (laughs) So, first of all, if you didn't know, sheep have great memories. Studies have actually revealed that sheep can remember 50-plus other sheep faces and remember them for upwards of two years. Sheep can self-medicate. They will use plants and other substances that otherwise hold no nutritional value to help themselves feel better when they're sick. And they can also teach their young to do the same. Now, this you may not know. Sheep have rectangular pupils. Ours are round weren't aware. Um, And this allows them to have a 270 to 320 degree field of vision. Humans have 155 degree field of vision, so they can see quite a bit. Um, Sheep are emotionally complex animals. They are capable of experiencing a wide range of emotions, including fear, anger, boredom, sadness, and happiness. And they can also recognize emotions by facial expressions. They are highly social and prefer their flock over another. Sheep that are heavily pregnant, this is really sad. Sheep that are heavily pregnant, overweight, or have a heavy fleece will have a hard time riding themselves if they've fallen like upside down. And this can actually be deadly. So if you see one like that, they are probably <laughs> panicking. So please like find their shepherd and you have to roll them back over. They can't Save they a can't sheep. Get back Save up. a sheep. <laughs> Seriously. Man. Okay. Moving on. Um, Sheep also will make different vocalizations to communicate with each other. Their only defense mechanism is to run. So a lot of other animals have different defense mechanisms. Sheep, all they can do is run. 
So without a shepherd, they definitely would not survive. And then sheep, lambs, and rams are mentioned in the Bible over 500 times, which is more than any other animal. Wow. Did you know that? No, I didn't either. So thanks for the enlightenment. Save a sheep. That's the new campaign we're going to go on. Save a sheep. So you're probably wondering, why are we talking so much about sheep this morning? And, and the reason is, is because today uh, we're going to study Psalm 23. Uh, and uh, Psalm 23 is uh, a lot about sheep and shepherds. It's the next song uh, we call, Psalms are really songs. That's part a big impetus of the reason that they were written. And so uh, this is the next psalm in our series, Music to Live By. The music is the psalms. So we're studying different books uh, in the psalms. And this psalm was written by King David, uh, maybe the most famous of, of all kings. Um, but speaking about famous, I think Psalm 23 might be the most popular, maybe one of the most well-known uh, of all of the psalms. And it's one that is read very commonly for somebody that is in the last moments of their life. Uh, somebody that is getting ready to pass on from this life into the next. And, and the military, speaking of our veterans, oftentimes if, if a military member is in a bad way, uh, this is parts of this psalm are read to them to bring comfort. And so, uh, so Jill, we'd love for you to read through this psalm and, and just take us through Psalm 23. Awesome. All right, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah. Well, we're not done teaching you about sheep and shepherds, so I promise you, you're going to know way more than you ever wanted to know. But there's a very important reason why. And if you've ever read this psalm, it, it may have produced uh, something, some kind of thought or emotion for you, and, and maybe you're somebody that really doesn't know this psalm very well at all. And I would certainly had read this psalm multiple times in my life. I've heard pieces or the whole psalm many more times in my life. And I you read that initial line, the Lord is my shepherd, it's clear that we're talking about a shepherd. But I never really understood the full depth of what this psalm was about, because in my mind, I, I ended the shepherd theme after that first line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then I sort of inserted myself into the picture for all of the other parts of this psalm, and I never really understood that, that the shepherd theme really carries throughout this entire psalm. And one of the, the best things you can do when you study the Old Testament is to really understand uh, two things. Uh, one would be, what is the language and the original meaning of the words when you read a scripture? Uh, certainly most of the Old Testament in Hebrew, much of the New Testament in Greek or Aramaic. And then the second thing is to understand, what's the cu cultural context of, that, of the, the person who wrote it or at the time that was written? What were the meanings? And so we're going to look into that in depth today. Uh, and so before he became king, uh, David, many of us know that he was a shepherd. His duty and his job, his occupation was a shepherd. And so uh, he understood the, the devotion and the emotion that was involved with caring for a flock of sheep. Uh, but here in this psalm, he's speaking about himself as the sheep. And he's speaking about the Lord, the good shepherd, as the shepherd. So it's un uh, important to understand that context and that relationship. And there's a lot of significance in calling the Lord a shepherd. And primarily because in David's time, the shepherd was the lowliest of low positions. I mean, it was like if you could ask for any profession, you, you probably wouldn't want to be a shepherd. And in fact, if a family needed a shepherd, they would of, often put that assignment onto the, the youngest in the family. And they would say, hey, you don't have much of a choice. Uh, you're the shepherd. Go take care of the sheep. And many times throughout the Old Testament, when David wrote, he used more distant and reverent terms for God, things like deliverer or king. And in some cases, he used an inanimate uh, metaphor, like a shield or a rock. But here in this psalm, David chose a much more comprehensive and intimate metaphor uh, in that being a shepherd. And the understanding that relating a shepherd to God is sort of to insinuate that he lives with his flock, and he means everything to it. 
And so you have to just kind of fathom for yourself for a minute. God the creator that brought everything to existence that we see and also that which we don't see, stooped down to basically the lowest economic position on earth and assumes care and discipline for this flock of sheep. That's really, really important because in one context, you could look at that and say, man, that's so disobedient and so discourteous, but it's really, it's really valuable for the sake of learning. And so God comes down to guide and to protect us and to clean off all those little dingle hoppers that hang from our wool and all those little things. That word is so funny. I have no idea where they came from, but I started laughing really when I thought about that. that. I really wanted to say dingle hoppers today in church. Um, freedom, liberty of Christ. So, so here's the thing. To get the most out of the teaching today, you need to fully understand the relationship between a sheep and the shepherd and that you belong to God. God is responsible for you, and he deeply cares about your well-being. That's the fundamental understanding of Psalm 23 today. I want to read to you what Spurgeon said about this concept. He, He said that before a man or woman can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd, he must first fill himself to be a sheep by nature. For he cannot know that God is his shepherd unless he feels in himself that he has the nature of a sheep. He must relate to a sheep in its foolishness, in its dependency, and in its warped nature of its will. So let's dive into Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Have you, I don't know if you ever read that and thought of like David sitting there reading a Tony Robbins self-help book? Like, I shall not want, I shall not want, I shall not want. Um, and for most of my life, when I, I read that verse, I sort of pictured like a, a New Year's resolution and, and a person imploring of themselves, okay, this year we're not going to want for anything. We're going to be totally content in what we have. And I think that's a very noble thing. That's a good thing to do, to practice contentment and, and to just be mindful about what we ask of God. But I spent some time researching, and I really wanted to understand the, the accuracy in the Hebrew translation. And so here's how I shall not want translates in the Hebrew. The, the, the words are lo, L-O, and the second word is Eichser. It's E-C-H-S-A-R. It's pronounced Eichser. And lo Eichser literally translates to I shall not lack. And some of the translations say this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. But what David's saying here is that since the Lord is our shepherd, and he's a good caring shepherd, we will not lack in his provision. And provision is kind of the first theme that we see in understanding Psalm 23. And when it comes to provision, it's sort of a, a mindset that's learned. Think, think about it this way. If, if you're a sheep and your shepherd continually leads you to places where you can feed and rest and be nourished, over time, you're going to start to trust that that shepherd is going to keep doing that. Right? It's a mindset. It's a pattern behavior. And so when God comes through for you, when he answers a prayer, or when he does a great thing in your life, do you deposit that into your memory bank or do you just push it to the wayside? I think we all tend to sort of forget some of the great things God does in life. And I want to show you something that is very important to my family. And we've shared this with our home group. Uh, and this is, this is a box. This is called an Ebenezer box. And I'll, I'll share with you why this is called an Ebenezer box. But um, a good friend of mine, Josiah, made this for, for my family. And, and you can see... Maybe you can't see, but on the front, I'm going to hope we don't you? drop this. Thanks, Joe, if you don't mind. Um, on the front, it says, thus far the Lord has helped us. And this is in reference to 1 Samuel 7:12, when Samuel placed a rock up and, and he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to name this Ebenezer to commemorate all the things that God has done for us. And so this is a box for us to put mementos and yes. Lord, some symbolic things that will help us remember and hopefully, you know, generations of our family to come to go back and look and say, what, is all the, what are all the amazing things that God's done in our life? What are the miracles? What do the blessings and provisions look like? And so we want, we want our family to remember that, just like the sheep that go through this process of trusting their shepherd because he has continually come through for them. Ebenezer. So David struggled a lot. If you read through the Psalms, you see that he really struggled on and off to trust God. 
He often waffled between triumph and tragedy. Sometime in the midst of the, that, that one particular psalm you're reading, it's like he switches on a dime. And I fail to trust God too a lot of times in my life. But here in Psalm 23, we get the picture that David really does understand that God gives him all he needs, and that he's learning to trust God in that. Provision. Moving on to verse 2, here's how I believe verse 2 translates literally in the Hebrew. I'm going to read it, how it comes right out of that language. It says, He leads me resting beside waters, and he makes me lie down of grass in pastures. Now, God, I don't know if you know this, but God created humans and sheep with the exact same purpose. Did you know that? He did. He created us both with the exact same purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to him. Now, it's, it's very different how we do that. Certainly, as humans, we're called to partake in a very different way with God, to co-create, to work hard, to produce and be productive. God desires us to produce in um, meaningful works, to participate in good and meaningful works, and to enjoy some in pleasure uh, along the way as well. I think he expects us to work our tail ends off sometimes, to provide for our family and for our church. And we ought to do that for his glory. You understand in Colossians 3.23 when Paul wrote, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And we, y'all, when we work hard, how many know that we need some rest? Can I get an amen? Does anybody need some rest right now? Listen, sheep don't work and perform activities like we do. But oftentimes sheep have to traverse long and far to get to a place of provision and rest. And God knows that they need rest the same way that we do. And so, interesting sheep fact number 1,872. Let me share this with you. Sheep don't easily lie down. You would think that that's easy for them, just like they're just an animal in a field, they just lay down and rest, but it's not the case. Uh, because sheep are timid, they will not lie down if they're afraid. Because sheep are social animals, they will not lie down if there's friction among the flock. If they are troubled by flies and parasites, they won't lay down. And if they're hungry, if they're afraid about being fed, they won't lay down. And so I would ask you, how well do you rest when you're facing adversity and other issues in your life? Work stress, anxiety, false accusations, you know, financial distress. I bet you don't rest very well. And I don't either when I'm facing giants like that. But in God's infinite wisdom, he knows just how to make you lie down. He knows how to calm your nerves. He knows how to ease your stress. He's a God of good and timely provision. And I want to know by a show of hands, how many have been to Israel? Scott, no need to raise your hand. Thank you. So we have a small handful. Now, those of you, <laughs> thanks for raising your hand twice, Scott. I really appreciate that, brother. Uh, if you've been to Israel, particularly in the central and southern regions, then you understand that this, this geography and topography is very much dry and rugged. It's you know, covered in sparse you know, shrub, tough grasses and things of that nature. And so when you think about waiting on God, you also have to understand that sheep, as they're walking through some of these lands, we're going to talk more about this, they have to oftentimes wait long periods before they see the manifestation of the care of that shepherd. And I think there's another little morsel here in verse 2 that, that I don't want you to miss. If you notice the adjective that David uses to describe the pasture, he it said it's green pasture. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now that that adjective in the Hebrew text is the word deshe, and it really means lush, it means green, and a land of nourishment. And so I think it's really interesting to stick on that for a minute, because I don't think when David wrote that, that his intent was to say or suggest that God in any way wants to lead us with mediocrity. I think he's saying that God wants us to steward with excellence, also not in mediocrity. And he wants us to partake in a creation that he called good in Genesis. Even through the dry, arid lands, he wants us to participate in the good, lush, and green provisions. 
How do we know that? Well, look at John 10.10. 10. We understand this concept about God wanting us to live life abundantly, a life abounding in the joy and the strength for our body, our mind, and our soul. David describes rich pastors because he wants, he wants to understand and embrace this concept of thriving, not just surviving. Are you accepting? Are you accepting God's provision in a, a dry, arid land with tough and sparse grasses? Or are you asking God, Lord, I want your lush, green, rich provisions? And it doesn't mean that you're always going to get that, and it doesn't mean that you're going to get that all the time. And I would also ask, are you partaking in a nourishment and rest that is good for your soul? Are you coming underneath God's covering and finding refuge in Him? And if you're not, it's possible that that calm and tranquil water is just right next to you. But you might just be taking matters into your own hands a little bit, and you're missing the blessing right next to you and right beside you. And so the message there is abide in the Lord and trust in Him and open your eyes to, to noticing when that provision is coming. And if it's not there, press into Him, just like a sheep would do for their shepherd. Press into Him and trust that He will take you to that nourishment and that promised land. So as we look at verse 3, I want to pose a question to you. How would you describe a soul being restored? If somebody had never understood this concept about a soul being restored, how would you describe that to them? The verse 3 there at the beginning when it says, he restores my soul, restores implies to bring back. Okay, that's the implication here. And when you run that through the lens of a shepherd, it sort of conjures this idea of restoring a lost sheep. And that gets, gets us closer to understanding what David was writing here. And I want to take you to Matthew 18, 12. And when Jesus spoke and he said, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go back and look for the one that wandered off? A good shepherd will always find and restore a sheep to his flock. And so how does that apply to you and me? Well, I think we understand that a good shepherd provides nourishment and rest, right? That's what David's talking about. And sometimes that blessing that God does for us and gives us is good enough to bring a fulfillment in our soul. When God says yes, and he blesses us with a great gift, it fills our soul. And, and that might be enough, but I want to show you how this makes more sense. Because when you walk for some time trying to do life on your own, we do that, we make mistakes. We sin against God, we sin against other people. And when somebody that you sin against brings you a gift, that's called grace. And so all the while that we're walking on this journey of life, sort of separate from God, you know what God does? He just stands there right next to us the entire way, ready and willing to embrace us and accept us back. Just like the prodigal son, that parable. And when God, despite our efforts or lack of to trust him and pursue him, he's ready to bless us and give us good and gracious gifts because of his grace. And when you put those pieces together and you realize that my way didn't work and you realize that God is always there ready and willing to bridge the gap of the relational gap with us and say, yes, I'm here for you. I love you. And I do forgive you. It really breeds in our heart, this concept of repentance. And so when we repent and acknowledge God, he restores our soul, turn black with sin and makes it pure for all eternity. And as I said earlier, there but for the grace of God go I. We're all just one step away of missing and receiving God's grace. God's grace is sufficient. And also in verse 3, we see this idea of being guided toward righteousness. It said, he guides me in paths of righteousness. And we know that there's a correlation between righteousness and provision. How do we know that? Well, you read in Matthew 6, when Jesus spoke, he talked about provision. Do you remember that? Because he was talking about anxiety and worrying about provisions in life. He was talking about the birds of the air. And he said something very important. He said, don't worry. He said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and everything you need will be added unto you. And so even in Jesus, everything in the Old Testament, let's remember, points, actually from your angle, points forward to Jesus, and everything in the New Testament points backward to Jesus. So you have to understand when David wrote this, we, he's effectively pointing toward Jesus, but now we have Jesus talking, combining righteousness and provision for us right in front of our eyes. 
So taking this a step further, God can provide for his sheep. He can provide for the birds. He can provide for you and me. But for an animal that has no understanding of right and wrong, good or evil, there's a clear distinction between sheep and people once again. You see, God gave us, you and I, the ability to understand right and wrong, to pursue righteousness and to pursue his obedience. And I think sometimes in the legalistic sense, we can get stuck on that and we can miss the idea. And the idea here is, I want to tie it to the very next part of that, when he says, for his namesake. That's why God leads us on paths of righteousness is for his namesake. Well, what the hairball does that mean? I don't think she'd get hurt. That wasn't in my study. So here's what I mean by this. Is that God acts in ways that reveal and confirm his nature and character to us. That's how he portrays himself to us. And in the Hebrew culture, a personal name was representative of the character and nature of the individual. The name was tied to their character and their nature. And I want to give you an example of this. In, In Exodus 30... God was speaking to Moses, and for the first time in history, and certainly the first time to the Israelites, God made known to Moses his true character in a new name, and that name was Yahweh. And that was a a new way of understanding of the the Jewish people to understand and know their God. And here's what Moses said in verse 6 of Exodus 34. He said, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That sounds a lot more to me like a caring and nurturing God than an angry dictator, doesn't it? But we also know that God gave clear instructions in Exodus 20, and that's the Ten Commandments. And in the third command, he told told Moses, do not use my name in vain. And it's really important that we understand that. And here's why. Because this is closely related in our society to the word reputation. Reputation. God's saying, you and I are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, I want you to represent me well. Think about the name of Jesus today. It doesn't get represented very well. I think in a lot of cases it's defiled and defamed. And God's saying, would you just represent me well as my ambassadors, as my children? Would you just bring integrity and glory to my name. And so God reveals his character as a committed shepherd, and he requires us to uphold the name of Jesus. And I want to tie this, you know, our children, I think many of us in this room that have kids, there's this concept of um, representing our family name well. And so our children, um, our two girls and our son, we always think of different ways that we can uh, teach them about what sumps do and what sumps don't do. And here's an example. Uh, uh, the girls, the older ones, they really love to play this game where you take their underwear and their pajamas out of the drawer, and they cover their eyes, and they want to try to guess which ones you picked. And so in the perfect nature of a five and a six-year-old, you know what they do, right? You're getting them out of the drawer, and they got the, they're looking like this, and they're, they're peeking out of the corner of their eyes. say, hey, sumps don't cheat unless you know for sure you can win. No. <laughs> Only no. case you no. do that. No, we don't cheat. We don't cheat. <laughs> But I tell them that, and I say, we, some don't cheat. We don't lie. We're of high integrity. We love Jesus, and we try to love other people the same way. You teach your children about your name for your namesake. And sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. Sometimes we get it, and sometimes we don't get it. But it doesn't mean we stop teaching our children about upholding righteousness and the character of our names. And the second theme that we see in Psalm 32, excuse me, Psalm 23 is this theme, protection. In verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now this is a significant trans, uh, transition by J- David because he goes from this um, sort of place of uh, life of abundant ease to this concept of like a fearful threat. And I want, to, I want to teach you a little bit more about the, the, the geography and the lands in Israel. Um, oftentimes at the base of these big mountain cliffs are washed out river basins. And they're called wadis, W-A-D-I. And oftentimes these wadis are at very low levels and it's hot. And it's dry and it's rugged. 
And a shepherd would need to take their sheep through these wadis, and it's extremely dangerous. And oftentimes, they're cast into shadows by these big cliffs. And it was long periods of time before they would get to this resting place, this watering hole, so to speak. And if I'm one of those sheep, or probably even more the shepherd, because we know as leaders, there's a big burden that's put on us. I got to think about what, what were they thinking about in that desert time when they're hot and they're parched and they're waiting for that water? What, what's going through their mind as they're traversing through these wadis? And David calls this the valley of the shadow of death. It's sort of hyperbole used to, to depict the most extreme. Because that Hebrew word, psalmowet, is a combination of two words, shadow and death. And it's sort of, the meaning there is that it's the darkest and the deepest of shadows. It's the most extreme of darkness. And I think David used these words in psalm form purposely to emphasize the, the danger and the threat that existed in this, in this um, you know, journey to this rest and nourishment. There were certainly other threats, things like wolves and other predators that the shepherds had to look out for. And the shepherd had a staff to guide the sheep and he had a rod to protect against predators. And you know what? There's a predator that's hanging out with you and me all the time. It's Satan. It's the enemy. And he's waiting for opportunities for you and I to get outside the gate of the shepherd's care so that he can have his way with us. And God says, I got you. I will protect you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. But I want you to stay under my care. Stay under my protection. Stay within eye range of me. I got your back. And David reminds us also in verse 4 that we don't need to fear evil or harm. It's the armor of God and the protection of the Holy Spirit will protect us. So Jill, I'd love for you to take us through 5 and 6 here and kind of wrap us up. You've been doing such a good job you know, sitting there so patiently. Gosh, I really wish I could put my feet down. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, all right, guys, this stuff is so good. Um, and it's funny, Channing, I think it was for his birthday, got this little... Um, farm animal train and so it has little animals at different parts in the train and it's obviously the farmer but then I, I was looking at it yesterday and I was like I think they made this with the thought of like the common hierarchy on the farm because after the farmer is the horse and then the cow and then the pig and at the very end was the little sheep and I was thinking about I was like I think from now on every time I clean up his toys I'm putting that sheep first like that horse is going to the back and the sheep is going to the front because, I mean, you guys hopefully have a new appreciation for these guys after this message. But as you can see, we've studied a lot about sheep, but not only that, we've also really focused on the great lengths to which a devoted shepherd would pay attention to even the smallest detail in preparing environments for his flock to thrive. And that's the next concept we see here in Psalm 23 is preparation. So verse 5 states, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So the high mountain country um, and tablelands were highly sought after for a shepherd to take his sheep during the summer months. However, these were often remote, hard to get to, um, and they were overrun with toxic weeds and plants. So an assertive shepherd would go and prepare the way and prepare the destination so that he could lead his sheep there and that they could safely and comfortably eat. However, predators were often a bigger threat because obviously you can't control those. So again, he's got his flock up there. He's prepared the way as best he can, but he's also allowing them to be safe and not really even know that around them is lurking cougars, bears, wolves, um, all of those guys, and they're, they're safe and they're eating even amongst these watching prey. And I love how David strategically places um, this verse here. It's a beautiful illustration of how when we allow God to walk with us through those dark valleys, through those treacherous terrains, that we can be confident that on the other side is a perfectly prepared place of rest and often abundance. Um, he always has a table prepared for us and no enemy of ours can tear it down. Hmm. The next part of verse 5 is, you have anointed my head with oil. So in sheep land, even in the tranquility of the mountainside and the highlands and the tablelands, um, one of the big struggle for sheep during summer was flies and insects, one of which is the nose fly. 
And specifically, these guys were so irritable to the sheep that they would often panic and run wildly. And if that fly actually was successful in taking home in the sheep's nose, it would cause irritation, infection, and inflammation. And this discomfort can cause a sheep to often bang its head on tree trunks over and over and over. And even in extreme cases, the sheep would kill itself. It's kind of sad. So one way that shepherds would protect their sheep from this fly was to actually cover their heads in oil. And another reason that shepherds would pour oil over their sheep's head in the summer months was to protect them also from this contagious parasitic condition called scab. And this was spread amongst the sheep through head budding and head rubbing. Now, in biblical accounts, we see oil and anointing was used to indicate someone or something that was set apart and a blessed object of the Lord. And we also see that the oil symbolism was linked to the Holy Spirit's presence. So just like the sheep needed oil on their heads to protect them from the flies and insects, we are in need of God's daily anointing of the Holy Spirit on our minds. That way we can live out the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's just some big, big shoes to fill. Um, One reason that we struggle with living like this is just like sheep in the nose fly, we are bombarded by daily annoyances. (laughs) So some examples are traffic. Anybody? That's a big one. Um, Your plans for the day maybe got disrupted. Maybe your children took 20 minutes just to get their shoes on before you had to come to church. Maybe, Maybe there's some challenging people in your life or maybe your fantasy football team keeps losing. Not mine. But thank goodness his mercies are new every day and every fantasy football week. So also as humans, we may not be rubbing and butting our heads together, but our emotions, our thoughts, our impulses, our beliefs about ourselves, about others, and even about God are heavily influenced when we combine our minds with other people's minds. Take, for example, social media specifically has created this mass mind mentality, which, if we're not careful, can actually disrupt our goal of living like Christ. In Philippians 4, 8, we are instructed, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And God knew we couldn't do this on our own, right? How amazing is he? I mean, at this point in Psalm 23, how could David not exclaim, my cup runneth over? Are we allowing ourselves to recognize and embrace God's love and care? Or are we putting a lid on our cup and saying, yeah, that's enough. Like, I've got it. I'll take it from here. I can do this in my own strength. Press in to him today. Allow him to overflow your cup. Because guess where the extra is going to go? Out to others. So the main takeaway from the psalm, and as it wraps up in verse 6, is God is good, he is faithful, he is loving, always. And we can find peace in that, even when we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And that's our last theme here in verse 6 is peace. Verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as we know, following God doesn't mean that we won't have struggles in this life. Even with the most attentive shepherd, sheep still experienced injury, illness. But no matter what came their way, they knew that loving kindness, faithfulness, and goodness were always in the picture. In John chapter 16, it very clearly states for us, in this world you will have struggles, but what follows after that? Take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, stick with him, your good shepherd, and goodness, loving kindness, and faithfulness will follow you all the days of your life. June 6, 2019, Brian and I were on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean. Um, We had just, we were headed to Koper, Slovenia. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that place, but we had just spent a day um, in Dubrovnik, Croatia, which is a beautiful place got back on the boat, and we finally received our luggage, which had been MIA for the first five days of our cruise. And you want to talk about a nosefly annoyance. That was, that was one of them. But you know what? We, 
we were excited, we were joyful, and we had no idea, no idea, that the next morning we would actually end up taking an ambulance ride to a hospital in Slovenia, only to be told that our unborn baby at the time no longer had a heartbeat. But you know what? God is good, and he is so faithful. And we saw some of the most incredible love and generosity from others come out of that. And we got pregnant two more times, and even though we lost another one after that, we eventually had Channing in June of 2020. And you let that little guy follow you around for a bit, and you will clearly see God's goodness. Next came February 18th, 2021. Brian and I went to bed that night, again, not knowing that the next day we would be told that Channing at eight months had a tumor in his head. And that the next day was when we were told that at that time it was cancer. But God, but God is good, and he was so faithful again. And Channing's cancer was cured, yes, but our marriage grew stronger, and again, some of the generosity and the love that we were shown from others, it was life-changing. So Psalm 23 ends with David declaring, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So through this psalm, we have metaphorically walked with a sheep and his shepherd through a journey. They start at the green pastures and still waters during the spring of the homeland, and then they travel known and unknown paths together, come upon treacherous terrain and dark valleys, and eventually on the other side, they reach this beautifully prepared tabletop to spend their summer. And then they come back home for the winter. Now, just like this was a yearly journey for sheep and the shepherd, it's going to be a constant one for us as well, and that's okay. But you know what? We have not yet arrived at our final destination, which is home with the Lord. And I just want to stop for a second and think about like what the Lord's home is going to be like. Because if he took that much care to prepare a table for me, I am envisioning like that deep cleaned house, you know, <laughs> dinner's prepared, laundry's already done and put away. Everything that is supposed to go upstairs or downstairs is no longer still sitting on the steps. The Pretty little fairy lights already have new batteries, so they're nice and bright, and even the essential oil diffuser is already going to be running. And the best part, I don't have to do it. Like, it's going to already be prepared. I just have to show up. I mean, that right there deserves a hallelujah. Hallelujah, yeah. (laughs) So today, are you proud to boast that you belong to the house of the Lord? Hmm. We should be bold and eager to share how well he provides for and loves us and that we are so glad we are his. Greg Steer, um, if you're familiar with him, he's the leader of Dare to Share Ministries. He posted something on Facebook a while back, and I actually really loved it. He challenged believers by saying, do people know more about your stance on vaccinations, politics, and masks than they do about your stance on Jesus and his gospel? That really made me think, what other things am I vocally passionate about? Well, those of you who I'm close with know that some of those things may or may not be limited to current events. Which of the two colleges with the name Miami in it is the real Miami? What is proper squat position when working out? When is it acceptable to start playing Christmas music? And of course, whether or not cheerleading is a sport. But am I also passionate about sharing my faith in Jesus Christ, whose house I belong to forever? And do I invite others to join me? Because as we've learned today, the grass on God's side really is greener. Mm. So I want to end with revisiting the beginning statement from this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Here, David speaks with a strong sense of admiration, devotion, and satisfaction in the care from God. He describes an intense yet still working relationship between himself and his maker, He doesn't say, the Lord's the shepherd of them, and he's also the shepherd of them, and I think I fall somewhere in there, so I'm good. Like, no, he intimately and intentionally says, the Lord is my shepherd. I love that. Remember the videos and pictures Scott showed us last week? Those incredible planets, the galaxies, the stars, those were all created and scattered by God's hands. And just as such, if we were to take a pile of dirt and stick it under a microscope, we would discover an unimaginable number of microorganisms, all with a purpose, all again created, scattered by God's hands, and everything in between. That's incredible. The best part, though, is this maker of all that is unseen 
and seen in the universe and all that is unseen and seen on a pile of dirt. And again, everything in between. He chose you to be his object of special care and attention. That's pretty awesome. I mean, that's really awesome. And not only did he love you so much that he carefully knit you together with even the smallest of details already thought out, he went ahead and bought you a second time by paying the ultimate price. He sent his son to lay down his life, his blood, so that you can have a life provided for, protected, full of peace regardless of circumstances, and with an eternal home already prepared. So I pray that you leave here today knowing that you are specifically and diligently loved and cared for, that you can confidently say, the Lord, he's my shepherd, and that you find comfort knowing that should you astray, he will leave the 99 and he'll come for you. That's awesome. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, We're going to take communion today, and we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus, the great shepherd, was also the sacrificial lamb and paid the price one last time and atone for our sins. So um, we'd like everybody to come up and grab your elements, your juice and your bread, head back to your seats, um, and we're going to take communion together. So let's, let's start that process.
time of reflection, uh, repentance, and remembrance of the ultimate sacrifice that was made for you and me. The night before Jesus was betrayed, he had dinner with his disciples, and he took a piece of bread, and he, he broke it, and he said, when you eat this, I want you to remember my body that was broken. It was bruised and beaten. It was hanging on a cross, and it was to be raised up for you. So let's partake in Eat the bread and remember Jesus. Jesus also took a cup of wine. And he said, when we drink this, this is going to represent the new covenant. My blood, which is going to be shed, and it's going to eternally cover your sin and wash it away. He said, when you drink this, Remember me and my blood that is shed for your salvation. So let's drink the juice. Lord Jesus, the greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind is the gift of salvation. Through your grace and because of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the grave and ascension to heaven, where you're petitioning for us every day with God the Father. We celebrate that. We remember you. We ask you to search our hearts and our thoughts to make us clean and right in your sight, reminding us that you are the good and perfect shepherd and we're to come under your covering so you can guide us and lead us to the pastures of nourishment and rest and refreshment. Lord, I pray that for my church family and they go in peace and blessing today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday, y'all.